Mormon Discussions and its lineup of great podcasts is about helping Latter-day Saints like you tackle deeper, complex issues within Mormonism. All financial support goes directly towards keeping these podcasts alive and supporting listeners like you. To support the programs on this podcast, please consider becoming a premium subscriber. Or making a donation at mormondiscussions.org. Again, that's Mormon Discussions, plural, with an S on the end, dot org. Donate today and support programs like Mormon Discussion, Radio Free Mormon, Mormon Awakenings, Mormon History Podcast, Marriage on a Tightrope, and others. If these programs benefit you, and you want to see these continue, please consider making an annual donation starting today. All donations are tax-exempt inside the United States and go towards keeping the podcast alive. Mormon, Mormon Discussions and its lineup of great programs. Helping you navigate Mormonism one episode at a time. And now, on to what you've been waiting to hear. Jessica Fouts, welcome to Mormon Discussion. How are you today? Hi, Bill. I'm doing wonderful. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. No, no problem at all. Jessica is a really good friend of mine. I've known her for several years now. Uh, we've met at various uh, firesides and workshops, and over the last couple of years, just spend a lot of time together with our friend group. And so we really appreciate, uh, my wife and I really appreciate you and your husband, Kyle. And we just want to just want to kind of today spend some time having a conversation. Uh, Jessica has written uh, a little bit of a, like a 10 point bullet point on faith development. And there are 10 things to kind of keep in mind as you're going through the developmental process. And uh, I do a lot of reading about development and I'm I'm always trying to find ways to make things easy to understand and concise, and that's exactly what you did, Jess, with this. So I thought it'd be fun to go over. Oh, you're welcome. Um, I wonder if you just might give the audience just a brief introduction to who you are, and then we'll jump into it. Okay, awesome. Yeah, I uh, went through a faith crisis about six years ago, and uh, before that, I was a CA at my dad's office. He is both a structural correctionist, uh, where he fixes the spine without surgery, and he also is a functional neurologist. And so we uh, have a program that we call the Build-A-Brain Program, and I help to create the, uh, the model that would help patients understand where they're at in their therapies. I was Dr. Elmer's executive secretary when he was integrating functional neurology into the structural correction office. So we would brainstorm together the vision and what we wanted to create. And I would work out the the logistics to incorporate those things into the office, as well as uh, we have a website. And so I was responsible for all the information that goes on there. As a CA and assistant helping him, I would assist in the primitive reflex um, therapies. So um, functional neurology and the protocol that we created what it does is it treats brain issues, namely brain injuries, movement disorders, autoimmune disorders, and autism by developing the undeveloped, damaged, and dysfunctional areas of the brain. We call this program the Build-A-Brain Program. So obviously, Jess, your, your, your day job, I mean, the thing you're doing to put food on the table and uh, to be a provider within your family, you and Kyle, I mean, you've got this career where you're putting a lot of thought into how people's brains work and, and how to make new connections and how to get people to, to, to overcome whatever challenges they've been given health-wise, especially doing with the mind and getting into kind of development. 
what I thought we would do is jump into uh, each of these bullet points, let you read them, and then we'll just spend a couple of minutes kind of talking about them. Okay. And uh, and kind of see how that goes. So, Jess, before we jump into these 10 ideas, these 10 principles that are going on in the background and, and, and at the forefront, too, of development, things that are really crucial, uh, any any thoughts to kind of get us ready to, to dive into this? Uh, yeah, I'd love to share some of the things that I did uh, within my job just because it really helped me to it, it really set me up to be able to have a deeper understanding of how each of the developmental stages work, if that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. So one of my jobs was to do primitive reflex therapies on each of the patients according to what their brain needed. Primitive reflexes are the reflexes we build in utero that help us survive birth. And our body then after birth overrides these reflexes and is able to use them as the foundational building block to a more complex and sophisticated brain. It's impossible for this or any other future sophistication to happen if these reflexes are not overridden. For example, the Moreau reflex, which ignites a massive dump of adrenaline throughout the body to make the baby take its first breath, will mature into what we know as the fight or flight response. So we always start by testing each patient at the earliest stage of neurodevelopment to see which primitive reflexes are developed and which ones are not. And this way, we can create a very customized protocol for each individual that becomes a patient. We meet them where they're at, developmentally, within each area of their brain, and work on stimulating those weakened, damaged, or dysfunctioned areas so that we can build something notch by notch for a specific amount of time that will allow the nervous system to write the new way of functioning. Um, Essentially, what we do at the office is we take a dirt path and turn it into a six-lane highway. And once this foundation is built, we can move on to the next stage of neural development so that they can continue developing a more balanced and functional brain. And they can Um, eventually have the ability to live and connect with their loved ones in ways that they couldn't before. The way this is accomplished, it's not because we're doing anything magical or defying the laws of physiology, but rather it's because the doctor understands physiology and its functionality so well that he's able to bring about such remarkable results. I've found this to be equally true and effective when learning about the stage of development systems like Fowler Stages of Faith, as well as uh, the stages program and research that Terry O'Brien and Kim Barda have done at Pacific Integral. What I couldn't see through the lens of only functional neurology is that these other programs I just mentioned um, help me understand what quality of life means within each stage of development and the purpose for the strengths and challenges and functionality that are so unique and specific to each of those stages. The more I know about them, the more I have been able to honor, validate, and give space for others to exist within the spectrum of their capacity, and as as I crave to be granted that as well. Something I stumble through and I still get mad and experience frustration, and I also give myself space to feel those things because what I'm feeling is my own development, and it's okay that my navigation is is messy. I wrote these 10 points to hopefully share the lens that 
the combination of these two worlds has gifted me in repairing, navigating, and embracing each stage of development in a healthier way. Perfect, perfect. Why don't you start us off? Tell us number one. Tell us kind of what you've got uh, in mind there, uh, and then let's uh, let's talk about it. Okay. Yeah. So uh, learning about human cognitive development keeps us from hurting each other out of ignorance. Our understanding of how development works influences the way we treat each other. When we are born, if everything goes well, the functional geometry of our brain presupposes the functional geometry of our body. The two are just not that connected to each other yet. So imagine you have a computer and a sound system. The computer has bare minimum software. This would be the newborn's brain. They can breathe, their heartbeats, they have rooting and sucking reflexes, among other primitive reflexes. This, and the sound system is the newborn's body. It already has all the capabilities of a functioning sound system, but won't become operational until they are connected and the software is downloaded into the computer. With a newborn, this downloading happens when mom and dad are making eye contact, when the baby is held, they're experiencing taste. Building this wiring and experiencing the brain turning on is like connecting the cables that go from the brain to the sound system. We're now able to perform little experience in working these two systems together. Like if I think about waving my hand, my hand waves. As we gain experience, we're able to work out the kinks of this newly developed software which will bring on more updates or development, like we see in systems 1.0, We will keep evolving our skill set as we age and are encouraged to learn more efficient ways of being from outside sources, such as parents, community, or Google. Eventually, we will know the programming so well that we become a creator in advancing the machinery and helping others learn how to navigate it as well. I'd like you to think of the individual developmental stages within systems such as Fowler Stages of Faith or Stages International as this kind of software. My four-year-old has 1.5 software. That's what he has to process his world with. I'm not better than him because I'm further along in development. In many ways, he actually helps me recapture the beauty and fun that I probably wouldn't revisit without his presence, like dancing the Disney music every morning and seeing the world through a very trusting and magical lens. I know how important it is for his development to process life in this way. And because he is aware that there is development beyond his own stage, it, it's something he looks forward to with excitement. Right now, all he wants in the world is to be able to shave with his shave his beard like his daddy. I think it's easier to to see and appreciate these kinds of relationship between an adult child dynamic, and it also gets tricky applying this appreciation when intermingling as adults in, in all of our different stages of adult development. Our potential for level of maturity and capacity of behavior is dictated by the development of our brain circuitry. 
I have noticed that when we talk down to or view other adults in earlier or even later developmental stages as less than, just because the format in which they process their world looks different than our own, it has a negative impact that sends them the message that they're flawed to the core, broken, or even unlovable, much like how people with autism feel or are treated when they are not understood. So humans are born having autistic tendencies and over time develop out of them, but some people don't. And it can be very damaging for an autistic person to come in contact with an individual or culture that doesn't understand the inner workings of their brain. Much heartache is felt by those who receive misjudgment and harsh treatment simply for not having the capacity to function at the expected level. But how beautiful is it when the gift of understanding is given that allows us to take a step back and give that autistic child compassionate space to be and operate within the spectrum of his capacity. Only then can we see the gifts and unique perspective he adds to the world and truly love him for who he is. Similarly, when individuals progress past the culture's center of gravity of development, historically they have been ostracized and even killed. These same people would later be seen as responsible for scientific breakthroughs that dismantle dogmas and equality movements that would free the oppressed. For example, Galileo's scientific belief that the earth revolves around the sun deemed completely heretical by the Catholic Church. He was ordered to turn himself into the Holy Office and begin trial for refusing to accept the orthodox belief found in scripture that the earth was the center of the universe. Martin Luther King was killed for his controversial and beautiful dream because the culture, people, and many religions struggled with his message of unity and equality. Examples like these are just a couple of countless repeated patterns that have taken place from even the earliest recordings we have to date. Knowing this, I can't help but wonder what will yet unfold. Where will the center of gravity be in the future for our people, culture, and religions that we currently view as unacceptable and even heretical? And the reason I'm so grateful for the study of human cognitive development is because it helps us to give ourselves and others space, grace, and understanding. We can look at another person and say, your journey doesn't have to look like mine in order for me to, to validate your experiences. And this is also why they call it the stages and spectrums of compassion. Yeah, and, and, and that section, I mean, it gives us a good start, which is this idea that human beings start off in certain stages of how they process information. Yeah. And you, you're you labeling some of these stages even having almost a, a semblance of autism to them. Um, and I think, I think it, we need to kind of, as the audience, grab on to this idea that there are better ways to process information, not right or wrong, mm-hmm. which I think is what you're hitting on here, that there's not a right or wrong, but there's there are better ways to process information. There's better ways to be a rational, uh, thinking human being. And we humans don't start off in those later stages. Yeah. We start off at something yeah. earlier. Oh, and even us in later stages of development, you know, can look at 
earlier stages and go, oh, you know, why aren't you just seeing things the way that I am? Um, there's a better way. And we're able to look at them and go, they don't have the neural wiring to be able to do that. As as your neural wiring grows, your awareness bubble grows as well. And then, and then you're able to process everything that you ever knew with that new understanding. Yeah. And so two things I think are, are the great ground you're giving us to start on, which is that one, if in these earlier stages, for those of us who are perhaps in a later stage to have compassion uh, looking back uh, mm-hmm. at those earlier stages and compassion for the people that are in them. Yeah. And on the other hand, you're asking those in earlier stages with whatever capacity they have to also realize that throughout time we have hurt and punished those in later stages yeah. for being uh, ahead of the game in, in making really significant changes in how we humans treat each other and how we should look to each other. Yeah. And it calling for those in earlier stages to also have compassion forward and to, to give a space for people who have new thoughts and new ideas for those ideas to maybe have some ground to, to, to sit with those and to hear what those ideas are. Absolutely. And I think both of those are extremely difficult. Yeah. Um, those aren't easy. Might add that it's still very important to stand up to unhealthy behaviors of each of those stages, whatever stage that is. Right, right. To stand up to unhealthy yeah. behaviors. Absolutely. Like we all ought to be a voice for treating each other better. Yes. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, right, run us through number two. Okay. So we keep all the stages with us as we progress. So as we develop, uh, pass through each developmental stage, the previous one does not disappear. It's so imagine like a Russian stacking doll, right? We we take each one with us. Um, and depending on situations where we're overwhelmed or um, we didn't get enough sleep or if we didn't eat very good, these are all indicators of how we're going to move in and out of each of the stages. Um, if we're uh, put into neuro- neural fatigue, we're going to relapse or if there's trauma there. Um, we also can't, I, I think it's also important to say, even though we're moving through each of those stages, um, there is the exception of the stage of the stages of development we do not yet have the neural pathways for. You know, obviously we won't move in and out of those. We can have states of those, but but those will be something that's yet to come. Um, so it's a living and breathing thing. The point of this is, is to grow down as well as up, like a, like a tree deepens its roots as it grows taller. The earlier stages are like foundational blocks for the later developmental stages to stack on top of. And if there are gaps or traumas in the earlier stages of development, the later developmental stages will manifest as rickety and will continuously relapse back into earlier stages. And this is a good thing. It helps the individual know what areas of development they need to build up within their foundation so that the rest can be sturdy as well. And if the trauma is so bad or there's repression of growth at a foundational level, um, a later stage of development just can't happen 
um, at all. So it, w- it would be like trying to go to the second floor of a building without having a first floor. Um, the earlier stages of development are crucial foundational building blocks to a more sophisticated brain. So here in point number two, something important, which is I think when I first got into reading about developmental stages, I I looked at it as kind of like a measuring stick. And I would go, oh, okay, I'm right in the middle of stage four. Uh-huh. Uh, when we talk about, for instance, Fowler stages of faith. Yeah. And I said like, oh, I'm in stage four, and that person's in stage three. And then look at over there. There's that guy in stage five. And the reality is it, it isn't that concrete. Like, as mm-hmm. you point out, mm-hmm. we are taking our previous stages with us. We often retreat back to those stages when we are in moments of stress, when we are in moments of anxiety. Uh, we 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 sometimes go back to those stages as a fight or flight mechanism. Yeah. And, and before that, the, the Moreau. Yeah, absolutely. And so those stages become very protective in, in times and not necessarily that they do us good, but that our brain utilizes them in a sense to protect us. And as we go throughout development, we're going to have to get comfortable that we're sometimes going to act and behave in ways that, uh, show that we still have a foot in those stages, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And when I can embrace that I am relaxing into, you know, an earlier stage, the more I can embrace and accept that, the more I can embrace and accept others in when they are, you know, that is where they're the furthest that they've developed into, they have developed into so far. Right, like when they, when somebody else is either in that stage solidly or when somebody retreats back to that mm-hmm. stage, it, it calls on us to have compassion again. Yeah, but when I'm, when I'm critical of myself for being in that stage, I'm going to be critical to others. What, what we manifest into it in our interior world is going to also manifest in how we view others. Beautiful, beautiful. Mm-hmm. So if you can have compassion for yourself, you'll yeah you'll be better at having compassion for others. And if you're critical of yourself as you move back into those stages, at times you're gonna you're gonna often carry that yeah. resentment towards others when they do as well. Yep, all about beautiful. love. <laughs> yeah, good stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, run us through number three. Okay, so our minds naturally create an aversion to previous stages to help us better drop into the new developmental stage. So I have toddlers and um, whenever they see a baby that's like pooped itself or something, they were so disgusted, even though they were doing the same thing like a year ago, right? Or when you see um, an adult saying to a teenager like, oh my gosh, why are you so immature and emotional? If all your friends went and jumped off the cliff, would you do it too? Um, Or even like you can see former smokers looking at someone who's smoking and just go like, that's so filthy, you know? And when we're not aware of why we feel this annoyance towards others, we're at the mercy of what our emotions tell us to think and feel. And the, the, the developmental map helps to counter and liberate us of this very natural occurrence to make room for compassion while keeping us in the stage that we are developing into. Yeah, I often hear the 
conversation when people are talking about development, there's always this point made that somebody one stage ahead of you will seem strange. And if they're two stages ahead of you, you want to do damage to them. Um, if Right? And if somebody's a stage yeah. behind you, it's often that stage right behind you that you are most, you have, you have is the most aversion to. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we have the least amount of compassion. And, and I wish that wasn't so, but that's the case. And so as you're pointing mm-hmm. out, to be cognizant of that, that we carry with us a discomfort for those ahead of us. We carry with us an aversion to those behind us. And as you make reference, just knowing this developmental map gives us pause to again have compassion for those who are not in the same stage as we are. Yeah, it's a it's a beautiful thing when we can hold a space with that discomfort and not allow it to dis- dictate what we do or how we feel. But we can say, hey, you know, I'm feeling discomfort because I'm witnessing this taking place and I'm okay with that. And and we really become the masters of ourselves instead of uh, almost like enslaved to our feelings. You know, when, when the rubber meets the road, I struggle with this one. Like I still find myself being frustrated with those in a, a stage behind me. Uh, although I will say I'm to the point now where I don't want to kill the person two stages <laughs> ahead of me. So, so maybe I've mastered that end of it, yeah. but I still find myself frustrated with people behind me. Any thoughts from you? Like, like maybe how you've tried to overcome that in your own journey. It's all development and it's okay that you feel this way. It means that you care deeply. And I think having compassion for yourself, you're being critical of yourself for feeling that way. And just being able to say, you know, this is where I'm at and I'm going to embrace that right now. That goes so far to, um, I think that embracement is what kickstarts that moving into a healthier space because you're giving yourself a healthy space to be and exist. Each stage has its own package of healthy and unhealthy ways of being. The interesting thing is that it's the unhealthy aspects that are the very things that will cause us to become uncomfortable within our own stage. When this happens, we begin to wake up little by little and look around and say, am I the only one who feels this way? This seems wrong or unhealthy. The relief will only come from rolling into the next level of development that comes from addressing and doing something about those specific unhealthy things. So awareness is huge. And with this bigger awareness bubble, we can now reprocess everything we have believed up until this point through this lens. And this changes us dramatically. It changes the kind of faith we have dramatically. But until this awakening happens, those unhealthy things won't even be on our radar until we are much more established within that stage. And then whether it be because of time, relationship, or a circumstance that causes cognitive dissonance, um, one, after experiencing things like these, suddenly we'll be like, you know, where did, where did this problem come from? Even though it was there the whole time, 
we were just so fulfilled and enriched with where we were at. We didn't even realize that it could be so toxic or suppressive to others in, in later developmental stages. Um, for example, where we once found great comfort in certitude and even dogmas, deep sorrow can enter when we begin to realize that maybe we are a part of a mindset or culture that caused others a great deal of pain or frustration. This is where we develop an aversion to that previous way of being to separate ourselves from those behaviors and step into growth. However, like I said before, if we're not careful, those unhealthy things that we're stepping away from can easily become the only thing we see in those who are still in that stage. This, um, let's see, a woman in our uh, meditation studio that we go to said it so beautifully. She said, my biggest fear is ignorance in action, whether it be by those of in power of governments or religion or my own or my own ignorance this is where the most damage is done and i absolutely i i absolutely agree with that thomas mcconkey's book navigating a mormon faith crisis and the depictive artwork his wife gloria did in it both do a beautiful job in bringing awareness to the specific challenges and strength within each stage I find it very helpful to know these things because much like I can come to expect a two-year-old to have tantrums when they're overstimulated, I can also come to expect and have sensitivities towards specific behaviors and worldviews within the adult spectrum while also still being firm and authentic to, to my own development where needed and allow myself the gift of imperfection. Beautiful. Run us through a number four. All right. So we do not have the neurological wiring in our brain to process developmental stages beyond our own. Because of this, and because there are categories within the child stages of development that follow similar patterns to their adult version, the, the adult versions are often misdiagnosed as juvenile stages if someone in an earlier stage is trying to diagnose someone that is more developed than himself. And this is why progress looks like a step backwards to the rest of the community. And good intentioned attempts will be made to correct and bring the developing person to where they were before. This is extremely damaging. This can cause a lot of frustration for the developing person when trying to plead their case to someone who only sees their new developmental stage as a flawed step backwards instead of a healthy step forward. Einstein was thought to be stupid and slow when in reality, he was a genius. The movie The Greatest Showman captures many situations that cause cognitive uh, dissonance and outrage from the community when they were presented with an idea that surpassed their ability to process, such as interracial relationships, racial equality, marrying for love instead of status, putting human beings on stage who were previously considered freaks and presenting them as equals. Since this time period, our center of gravity and awareness level has shifted. We can see while watching this movie just how wrong humans can be as a collective. 
we see the pain and the casualties of certitude brought on by good intention people, as well as the richness and diversity brought on by those who dare see beyond and shake the status quo. I love this movie so much, but just from a developmental perspective and, and um, like I see you, Bill, and you're willing to, to shake the status quo and say, this is not healthy and we need, we can do better than this. Yeah. I I'm looking at, you know, within Mormonism, um, because obviously that's the framework with which you and I both kind of grew up in and we've deconstructed as we look at Mormonism as a microcosm of society at large, Mormonism has often had to deal with voices being a head of it and pointing mm-hmm. back at it and saying like we're not doing this thing healthy and and examples would be dr lowry nelson for instance in the 1940s yeah. pointing out that we were wrong on our attitudes towards race and racial equality and you hear you have the leaders of the church who set themselves up as being the the uh destiny of where we should be and how we think and how we should uh, be in our development and in reality, there were members of the church who were ahead of the game. And so these leaders would point back and say, you're not allowed to say these things. But over time, we would, as a people, figure it out. And mm-hmm. it happens uh, It happens with women's issues. It happens with uh, how we treat the LGBT community, which is right now happening. And you can see the church yeah. playing catch up uh, mm-hmm. to this issue. And so I think what you're pointing out is super important, which is the idea that uh, collectively our society doesn't have the wiring to uh, accept and lean into those who are just a step or two ahead in presenting new ideas. And so there's got to be this, as, as you're kind of saying, there has to be this time allowance for society collectively to to gradually move into it. We can't compel things to happen. Yeah. As you're, as you're talking about the, the movie, The Greatest Showman, which I thought was fantastic. We actually <laughs> went and watched it twice. Oh, I love uh, that. Yeah. And I'm not, yeah. And I'm not a guy who goes to see movies twice. <laughs> I generally watch them once. And then to me, it's a waste of money to see it a second time. But this one was an exception. And as you point out, they're calling on their society to move and to shift. And those people collectively resented these new ideas. And there was this confrontation. And that's happening. While this is a movie, that's happening in real time uh, at any point in our our collective history. It's always Uh, happening. And I remember... Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I I remember uh, our friend Thomas McConkie said, you know, there was a time in our history where uh, ethnocentricity, tribalism probably saved the human race. And now we're to a point where I think collectively we're moving into more of a world-centric perspective and we're looking back at uh, tribalism and we're having these negative feelings towards it and Mm -hmm. and wishing people would catch up. But there was a reason why it was there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, each stage has its value Mm -hmm. and its place in our human history where it was probably the thing that saved us. Yeah. I absolutely agree. Um, are there, is there any, th- any thoughts you have about how we can softly help people in earlier stages sense that, that 
per, and again, I don't, I don't, I hate to say it this way, but perhaps they're on the wrong side of an issue. Is there a, is there a nice way to get people to start to see these things, or is it just a matter of time? I think it's just a matter of time. I think people want to develop; they crave development, and um, and they will gravitate towards those things that help them grow. And and I see, I even see it within the church where they're all like, you know what, this is this is unhealthy. It's starting to feel uncomfortable for me because. I have these friends who are LGBT and they are not the evil that I'm hearing about. And, and yeah, I think it's just a very small, slow moving ball. And, um, and as long as there are people who are willing to show what development looks like by being true and speaking their truth. Um, and also, and also saying, you know, you do what you want. You know, you can be unhealthy if you want. Um, whether that's my perception of it or it really is that way. Um, but this is what I'm creating. This is the life that I'm that I'm living. I I think it really it really shows, and people are are wanting more depth. And so it's it's already in motion, and it's always been in motion to head towards progression and development. Yeah. You say it's a slow moving ball. It's slower than we want it to be. It's so, so slow, but it's happening and I'm not going to wait on others um, (laughs) to determine how much growth that happens within me. I'm kind of off doing my own thing and it's been, it's been incredible. And I've noticed others, um, gravitate gravitate towards that as well. Just in just in conversation alone. Yeah, when you say it's a slow moving ball, and I say it's going to take time. Neither one of us say like, "Hey, everybody's going to get there. Just give them five years." No, 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 no. This is <laughs> thousands of years of moving yeah. from egocentricity to ethnocentricity to this collective moment right now where we're moving into world centricity as a people, as a human uh, race. And so as you and I point to, this is yeah. about not being patient with an individual as and giving them time to move. It's being patient with humanity as it takes another couple of hundred years to move solidly into, into a, uh, a world-centric perspective. So here we are at number five. Uh, this gets us to the front end of the halfway point. Uh, so why don't you go ahead and take us through this one? So trying to make someone digress to a previous developmental stage can be damaging to that person and your relationship with them. In other words, you cannot do neurological wiring unless you have a neurodegenerative disorder or brain injury. You cannot make someone go from 4.0 to 3.5 and have them never return to 4.0 again. If they do feel enough outside pressure to come back to a stage such as 3.5 after transitioning to 4.0, they will only become a hollowed, depressed, shriveled up version of what they once were. Because despite all efforts on their part and through no fault of the individual, living in 3.5 ceases to be spiritually, intellectually, and emotionally nourishing for them. A person can only progress to the next stage 
when they have the neurological wiring to operate within the capacity of the next developmental stage. For example, just like a healthy child naturally transitions from crawling into walking, we naturally crave progression and developing within the stage we're in. Could you imagine trying to stop a baby from walking for the rest of their life? It would affect everything within their world and not for the better. Experiencing this developmental suppression and repression within the subtle world of a human being can be just as devastating. To clarify a previous statement about how we cannot do, uh, how we cannot undo neurological wiring, there are, however, times when it can temporarily be shut off. And we digress into earlier stages when we're overwhelmed, which causes us to manage situations in, a less, in less sophisticated ways. One example from my own life is that as a parent, there are times when it seems like everything is going wrong and my kids are rebelling repeatedly and, I freak, and they're freaking out and I become overstimulated and I can't take it anymore and I snap. And then afterwards, <laughs> when I'm able to recuperate, I feel like super mom guilt because the way I reacted to them was not how I normally act or address certain issues. So that was the maxed out version of me. This is called neuro fatigue. This happens when outside stressors are bigger than our coping skills. And when you're stressed, your brain burns through food. It eats called dopamine way faster than normal. And when your brain runs out of food, it cannibalizes itself, which means you're eating your brain. So no wonder you had a freak out. And it's helpful when feeling overstimulated to have a bunch of almonds or other forms of protein ready to help to recuperate your brain's dopamine and brain functionality while taking a breather, taking a step back. These moments of temporary, these moments of temporarily dropping into earlier stages can help us Remember what it was like to operate at earlier stages to help us understand and be better equipped when viewing and talking with people who don't have the wiring to handle certain situations or perspectives. In the example that I gave about me being in neuro fatigue mom mode, that was me dropping and operating at stage 1.5. That is the ex exact same stage and feelings my toddlers have when they feel overstimulated and freak out and have a tantrum. So now, when I see, knowing this, when I see them freaking out, I can have compassion on them. I know what that overstimulation feels like and how I act when I'm there. And how can I expect a two-year-old to hold themselves together when I, as a 31-year-old, can't even do that when I'm there, right? Now, I can help them through what they're experiencing and encourage coping skills. Your neural pathways are not like muscles. With muscles, the harder I push, the stronger they get after breaking down. With the nervous system, the moment fatigue happens, a complete shutoff and free fall occurs. If there was damage done at an earlier stage, emotionally or physically, 
those will also be causes for those free falls to happen. And when you push yourself without any recuperation, like I just need to push through this um, to, um, to get back to where you were, you are training yourself for failure. So it's super important when you can feel yourself hitting impatience, like snapping, feeling nausea, like your brain is fried or you're just like, I'm done. It's so important to take a step back, you know, grab some protein, you know, almonds, because that helps re uh, replenish that dopamine and take a breather and move away from what's overstimulating you because it's just going to get worse. <laughs> Beautiful. The uh, The thought I had here is where you started. Um, you can't push somebody, you can't compel somebody back into an earlier stage. And the way I see this show yeah. up is when we, when we as believing Latter-day Saints, for instance, when we're inside of a religious system and we see somebody beginning to stretch themselves out into the outer limits of what is acceptable within our system... Um, maybe they are reading things that are controversial. Maybe they are becoming sympathetic to things that we call sin, for instance, the LGBT or homosexuality. Right. And when those people right. are leaning into greater compassion, acceptance of diversity, greater awareness of how the science conflicts with their beliefs, we as believers say like, stop, you're, you're going the wrong direction. You need to read more, you know, in terms of the scriptures, you need to pray more, you need to uh, buckle down and get back to doing things the way we have set up for you to do things. And as you point out, it's not healthy. It's not yeah. healthy to compel someone backwards. Yeah, no, but everything up until, you know, that point where you're starting to go inward to that inward authority um, has been an outer authority. Like, I believe this, you know, like what, uh, why do you believe in the party, uh, political party you do? Oh, because I was raised to believe that's the way that it's done. You know, everything is an outside influence telling you what is right and true. And, and so just, you know, seeing that from my perspective, I can go, oh, okay, this is how your development works. This is, you're telling me that I can't do this. But really what you're saying is you can't do this. Ooh, beautiful. Um, I, I think it points to this idea when we see people stretching themselves and making new connections, even if those connections don't mesh with the system we're in and the way the authorities of that system have set things up, all we're doing is greater damage by trying to pull that person back to where they, we think they should be. It, it just isn't healthy, as you point yeah. out. And then for the person themselves, yeah. when they sense within themselves that they're being pulled down to a lower level, as you point out, to, to uh, exercise some self-care, uh, to take care of themselves and to get the rest yeah. and the nourishment that they need. Yeah. Yeah. Gorgeous stuff. So now let's run us through these, uh, these last five. Let's go ahead and go through number six. The complete map helps us to pan out our awareness of each other and helps us zoom in to each individual stage to see what the, um, sorry, let me do that again. So the complete map helps us to pan out our awareness of each other and helps us zoom in to each individual stage to see that there is something more, much more going on beneath the surface with the reasons why 
So let's say I'm from Vegas trying to give someone advice on how to reach a destination within the Las Vegas Valley, right? And the person I'm talking to keeps saying, like, I'm following your instructions, but there's nothing here. I can't get what I need. And then I reply, you probably made a wrong turn somewhere. Let's look at what you did wrong. If I then were to discover the person I'm talking to is actually in Florida, this is a true story, by the way. <laughs> this actually happened one time. But there, I'm not going to be as helpful as I want to be if I'm only holding my Vegas map. If I refuse to see that there's anything outside of Vegas, my Vegas map will be like a pre-Columbus map. To a person who doesn't have the entire developmental map, a loved one who has progressed to a different stage will look like they are living life where there are no fiction territories like the monsters and dragons you find drawn on the pre-Columbus map that dwell near the edges of the world. And assumptions and accusations will be thrown at the developing person for not feeling what they're feeling, being able to arrive to the same conclusions as, as they are. So like, if you don't feel at home the way I do at this destination, you've all obviously didn't take a turn at the right street. Do you see how the disconnect can happen when we're talking with each other at different stages as well as how our ignorance hurts and blames people? I would like to add that if, uh, like I said before, that if we're in our later stages of development and hold our stage as the only relevant map, um, then we are also guilty of doing the same thing and our map is incomplete as well. But if I become aware that my map is incomplete and learn about Florida and educate myself on the inner workings and the street systems and, and the environment, like I can, I can say to that person that I'm trying to help navigate, you know, I, I've never been there. I've never experienced Florida, but I hear it's beautiful. There's lots of greenery there and the ocean is great. And I can also see that the red rocks in the Las Vegas Valley are breathtaking and they both add depth and diversity to this world. They also both have their setbacks. With Vegas, it's the heat. And in Florida, it's the humidity. However, I have come to also love those things about each place because of, of the atmosphere they create. This is just like each developmental journey, as long as one stage is not suppressing or shaming the other stage as trying to hold their views as the one and only true way. By introducing the backstory and the future story of that person's stage of development, we come to see the gifts, the challenges, the unique perspectives, and the optimal way to navigate each and every stage with open arms. When we learn these things about each stage, we also can understand that without any singular one of them, we'd be crippled. Yeah, this is gorgeous too. As I'm sitting here and listening to this, and I know it feels like I'm being uber critical of Mormonism. I'm not. I'm trying to use it as a framework to understand these points. So when we go back into Mormonism, and let's go back into 1947 Mormonism, uh, what happened was Mormonism at the time said, look, 
We know how old the earth is. We know what Heavenly Father thinks about those of color. We, we know how uh, Heavenly Father feels about this issue and that issue and this particular social station and this particular social station. We know how God feels about this. We know how God feels about that. And in that 1947 Mormonism, if you were outside the box you would have been frowned upon and looked down upon as somebody who was on the verge or perhaps even in apostasy. Now we fast forward. Let's fast forward 30 years. And if we fast forward 30 years, that person who was outside of the uh, accepted uh, cultural median of Mormonism would today be safely in, or in 1980 would have been safely in. Yeah, and so it's not—it's not the human being who was bad. It was a system that was lagging behind that type of new thinking. And so, if you said, "Look, man, evolution's real, and the Earth is a billion years old," in 1947, the average Mormon would have frowned upon you as having crazy thinking and being on the verge of apostasy or in it. And here we fast forward again, 30, 40, 50, 60 years, and suddenly that same thought is safely on the inside of that system. And so it's the system that's behind while certain voices are out ahead, and it wasn't that they were good or bad or right or wrong. In fact, in the end, they were right, and it's the system that had to come around. And so I think what you're pointing us to is the more we can be aware of human beings development across the spectrum of our entire world in any given moment, as well as across the expanse of time, we're going to have a lot more compassion for when people, when someone is standing in front of us who is further ahead in development. Yeah. It doesn't matter who you are. If you are a human being, everything that you say is an indicator you are sharing with people what developmental stage you're in. The very language that you speak, the way that you process the world. And uh, the reason why I love Bell, uh, Rob Bell's work so much is because he shows that. And um, <laughs> prophets, apostles, we, you know, they can only understand up to the point of neural pathways that they have. And so even though they're saying this is God's will, this is what, you know, God says, what they're really saying is this is the furthest I can comprehend God. It's, it's an indicator of their own inability to, to think into that next stage. Like you say, whether we're ahead or whether we're behind in a certain stage, it, it, our behavior, our comments, the way we articulate what we're saying it tells us where we are, not the right or wrongness with where a certain person is. Uh, this is beautiful stuff. So as we're talking, and right here before we go into number seven, uh, we recognize, listeners, that if this is new to you, this is something that I've been talking about for years. And if you're swimming in these waters and have read some of these books, you've uh, heard Thomas McConkey, you've heard others uh, Ken Wilber, or uh, you know, there's lots of different folks. James Fowler talks about it within a religious context. There's lots of conversation about what these developmental stages look like. 
we're going to refer you to the uh, footnotes or the resources on this episode, the episode notes, and we will have several links there that if we're beginning to kind of lose you as we get into the specifics of certain stages or how these stages connect, if you might refer to those footnotes and make yourself kind of aware of those stages. But with that said, uh, Jess, if you would go into number seven and help us understand this one. Yeah, no problem. So what's with the 0.0 and 0.5? Within each stage of, of development, it's like there's two phases. There's the beginning um, and and middle. So, um, so the 0.0 stage, so let's say 1.0, uh, represent coming into a new development, a new developmental stage of awareness. When your awareness bubble expands, it allows you to reprocess everything within the scope of your world through this new lens. This includes how we view our belief system, politics, policies, our perception of obedience versus morality, right versus wrong, things like that. So each stage comes with its own set of strengths, challenges, and mission of what it needs to accomplish. Moving into a stage that ends in point O can feel like starting a new job. We aren't quite sure how to navigate the system, and there's lots of mistakes that are made trying to figure things out. You kind of stumble through it, um, and it feels a little unstable. Over time, as we gain experience, as with all jobs, we can progress and become the manager, and this is where this, it's at this point where we cross over into the point five within that stage. In point zero, we feel swept up in the system. In point five, we feel in control and work that stage. After a while of being in point five as that manager, if there's a, a desire to keep progressing, we start to, we start to feel uncomfortable, almost claustrophobic. Like we start to think, is this all there is? And there can be some confusion in this because this job or stage of development used to be so fulfilling. And now we feel stagnant and it no longer feels spiritually or cognitively nourishing to us despite all of our efforts to stay engaged. And if an adult develops beyond a community of rigid traditions, it can be a really scary thing for both the individual and the community who sees them going through this without knowing the developmental map. It's so beautiful and helpful when we can put an arm around the shoulder of that person who is developing and say, this is good. This is development. You know, let's look into college, you know, metaphorically speaking. In an environment like this, where growth is encouraged, it will be a smooth transition from that 5.0, uh, uh, from that 0.5 spectrum into the next 0.0, like from going from 2.5 to 3.0 or 3.5 to 4.0. This is enormous. I mean, the moment I understood the developmental map, I moved mm. along this growth accelerated exponentially, like understanding what these yes. different stages look like and knowing what it meant to lean into that space ahead of you was monumental for my own growth. And I, I want to say, 
I, I, what I think you're also hitting on here is that this isn't, again, it's not a concrete thing. There is this wide spectrum of where we start when we're born and what our potential yep. is on the other side of the spectrum for us individually. And at any given moment, we're, ocu- we're occupying more space than just a dot on a line. We are occupying yeah. the space behind us. We're occupying the space in front of us. And it is... The living, breathing thing. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. And it's not like, oh, I am exactly at 2.639. No, it doesn't work that way. Um, and, I, <laughs> and I think you're pointing to that. With point number seven, just be patient with yourself and know that this is a process, but that the more you learn about it, the better you're going to be at leaning into the stages ahead of you and the better you're going to be at having compassion for the stages behind you. Run us through number eight. Yes. Okay. To be older than another person does not necessarily mean we are in a more developed stage. It is easy to see a child grow up and develop both physically and cognitively. Adults can go through just as many developmental stages as children do, but our bodies tend to stay the same size. Each developmental stage happens around specific ages. However, that does not mean we're going to transfer over just because we've turned that age. An adult can be at a 2.5 their entire adult life and die having lived a perfectly happy and fulfilled life at that stage. A 30-year-old can go from 3.5 to 4.0. This is why there are so many different leadership styles in religion, politics, teaching, and parenting that range across the spectrum developmentally. Each stage is vital for society to function optimally as long as we don't suppress or shame the development or others by holding our way of processing as the only true and highest way. Yeah, it's not an age thing, certainly. I, uh, I know yeah. people who are ahead of me on this developmental map who are uh, younger than me. Mm-hmm. And I know people who are older than me who are uh, behind me on this developmental map. Just because I'm a 40-year-old man doesn't mean that when I talk to a 20-year-old that he doesn't have anything to offer me. It, it gives me space to pause and to listen to people regardless of their age, race, uh, orientation, ethnicity, whatever those other things that make them different, it causes me to pause and to listen for the wisdom that they have. Yeah. The light in me honors, respects, loves, and cherishes the light in you. This is what we crave, right? This is what we all crave, to be seen and have an equal seat at the table to feel we have a place where we belong and where we can contribute and have worth. And what you've just said is a beautiful observation that is crucial for the mission of what is required for stage 4.0 to evolve into stage 4.5. 4.0 is called the individualist stage in part, I think, not just because you become an individualist, but because you become an observer to all the individual egos that you have developed up until this point. Kind of like going from being in the movie to now being the one that's watching the movie. You have the ability to now see into those egos and begin to really heal all that has been wounded or have given you a distorted or false belief about yourself by doing things like shadow work to make those areas more robust, rich, and wholehearted. 
instead of thinking you are your emotions, you now have the ability to attend to how each ego feels within you, which helps you be able to navigate and get to the core of why they are there, what to do about it, and really lean into the discomfort when peeling back all the layers like an onion that comes from uh, doing shadow work. As you do this within, the same results in how you begin, uh, it has the same results in how you begin to see others. You recognize the language others speak, much like how we recognize a three-year-old's language and way of processing life from a 12-year-old's. It gives us an appreciation for those individual markers and milestones of development. Can I use you for an example, Bill? Let's do it. So whenever you're asked what brings you joy, without fail, I've, uh, one of the things that you bring out, up is just hanging out with your friends, right? That's it. That's one of my favorite things to do. You got it. Yeah. This love of community is something that you developed in stage two. And before in stage one, it was the power of self. Um, as a baby, everything is me. My mom is me. My dad is me. Um, but in stage two, we uh, develop the power of we. What I do affects other people. And this is where I learn and develop relationships. It means to have trust in others. So I want you to think of what stage two meant for you, Bill, as a child in your family unit. Now think about how your definition of community evolved when you were a teenager coming into a new community as a convert to the church. Now fast forward and think about how that sense of relationship and community evolved when you were a little older or first called to be bishop. And as someone in stage four, think of what community means to you now within our group of friends. As our awareness bubble expands, everything within our lives will transform as well as a result of seeing through that new developmental lens. And those in earlier stages are in themselves representations of what we love about our own lives because they're foundational points that allow us to get to that allowed us to get to where we are now, even if there are some super healthy things going on within those earlier stages and within our own, of course. So the mission of uh, 4.0 is to do what you, Bill, have done with making your definition of community so much more rich, deep, and robust, and also doing this across the board with all areas within each stage of development. Looking into the wisdom of previous stages, as you said before, is how we pinpoint where we need to start in recognizing where we might be lacking so that we can know what needs to be beefed up. When we do this, our stage four development, our 4.0 developmental stage ceases to be the only true and relevant perspective. When we do this, all of those egos will have an equal seat at the table to have their unique voices, perspectives, and gifts seen and heard. When we do this internally, it will manifest in how we perceive and communicate with those in our exterior world. And we will be able to develop into stage 4.5, the strategy stage. 4.5 is processing and moving through life with this lens of equality. And when that happen and when that is mastered, 
those egos work together so well, they begin to blend into, unify, and dissolve into one being. Cross over into stage 5.0. Yeah, let's go into number nine. Okay, number nine. It causes harm to try to rip someone completely out of an earlier stage to bring them over to your later stage. If I'm experiencing being shamed for transitioning into another stage by someone that doesn't have the developmental map, it can be very hard to not try to rip that person out of their stage to make them see what I see so that they will stop that negative behavior towards me. When I do this, the opposite effect intended occurs. Now, I want to make myself very clear before I give this example to say that it is necessary to stand up to unhealthy behaviors and everyone should have the rights to their own development. For example, we have, we've seen what happens when a country goes into another and tries to build up a system that is way beyond that country's developmental level. If the country that is in an earlier developmental level is still in the process of exploring the stage they're currently in, like they haven't been really rooted into it, that stage will become unhinged. And since they're not yet grounded in it yet, soon as the developed country pulls out, the system will collapse. They go back to the previous stage they were in before someone else stepped in because that is the stage they completed and have been grounded in. So let's say they were exploring 2.0 and then someone comes in and says, we're going to operate at a three now. Um, And then they pull out and say, you're going to operate on your own like this. Instead of going back to 2.0, they will go back to 1.5 because that's the one that they've graduated from and have been rooted in. And the same thing can happen on more subtle levels in our interactions. For example, braces take two years of gradual change before the teeth reach their final destination. Moving the teeth too fast can result in the soft tissue in between each tooth um, ripping, causing nerve damage, and the teeth may even fall out. On a more subtle level regarding belief systems, the content in which we believe may change dramatically when being exposed to a large amount of data that contradicts what we have been taught. But when done too quickly, our entire developmental stage in which we process this information may collapse entirely into an earlier stage. So instead of moving into a healthier place of nuance, a person can process the new information in the black and white lens of earlier stages. So for for me, while going through my own faith crisis, it was it was like a reflex for me to inform my family members about the controversial topics, and I still think that's important. I I thought that they should know every single detail so that they would stop judging me and severing their relationship with me. But I had no idea because of the way I was doing it just how damaging that could be for them. My motivation was pure. I was desperate to be loved and to feel the joys of a close family and church bond that seemed to be slipping out of my grasp when I was transitioning into another stage. And because I didn't have the, an understanding of the full developmental map, 
my attempts, the way that I approached it were not very helpful for them. And uh, which drove the wedge between us even far further apart. Understanding the map helps me understand the language and lens in which they see the world so that I can approach them in constructive conversation instead of one that causes them to shut down and view my worldview as even more dangerous and troublesome. Comfortable discomfort is the space where growth and change dwell. Everyone has the right to their own development. And what a person does within that space of comfortable discomfort, um, whether they stepping up to a moment of growth or shrinking away, what they do is a key indicator of what they currently want to be. I love this one. And you're right. Like when I first moved into a stage that my community was no longer comfortable with, I pushed back hard. I wanted all of them to wake mm. up and realize that I was right. Like I had dis- I was the one who read too much. I was the one who had learned new things. I was the one who was moving into a better space and I wanted to drag all of them with me. And over the last maybe five years, I've moved into a space that's much different where I show up, I give by my own behavior, the example of what that later stage looks like. I offer Mm -hmm. tools and resources if that person wants to grab onto them. But I try, and and I'm not perfect at this, I still fail, but I try not to pull them into the next stage because it's not healthy. It does them no good as you point out. Yeah. And it's, it's been beautiful for me to see what you know, taking a step back and giving them that space to be has done for that relationship, like with me and my parents, it, it, like, I feel very moved at, as I've been giving them space. And this, this is just, you know, my situation, you know, it's not going to be this with every situation, because it depends on the individuals within the relationships. But, you know, they've been a lot more considerate with me And like I went to church the other day to go to a blessing for my brother's baby. And my mom like looked over at me and she was just like, how are you doing? I know this is really hard for you. Thank you so much for being here. And you don't have to stay the whole time. And that right there meant the world to me. And and I don't think that could have happened if I stayed in that harsh perspective that I had for so long. Yeah, if you want your loved ones to have compassion, the best chance you have of getting that is to be compassionate yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Now, the last one, number 10. Awesome. It is okay to set boundaries with those who don't see the beauty of the stage of development you are in. Everyone has the right to their own development, but this does not give anyone the right to hurt ostracize or suppress others with it. I have so much gratitude for those who dedicate their lives speaking out against such unhealthy behaviors so that uh, so that others can have a same a safe space to exist and thrive. Cuz that's what it's all about, right? It's about thriving. And uh again, thank you Bill because you're a huge voice in that. So 
once you've learned about each stage of development, it becomes easier to understand the reasons why someone in a different developmental stage is treating you poorly. This doesn't mean you have to put up with the unhealthy behavior. The purpose of learning about each developmental stage is to have compassion on others and for yourself. You will learn that your stage is beautiful in its own right and requires respect and the space to flourish and grow, even if that means limiting time with those who won't allow you that developmental right. I admire Christ's way of addressing unhealthy behaviors while helping others develop in the process. He spoke truth to bullshit. He also consistently planted seeds that will, would allow these people to question their current paradigms and dogmas. When each person, no matter where they are on the developmental map, understands and respects and allows others a healthy space and the rights to their developmental stage, only then can we fully embrace, learn from, and uplift and find fulfillment in each other. Like how we fully embrace and allow little children to have the developmental right of their magical stage that brings us so much joy that no other stage can capture in the same way. We dwell together and honor each other, and we also push each other towards growth and call out unhealthy behaviors. Just because an 18-month-old cannot comprehend gratitude in the way I do doesn't mean I'm not going to teach him to say thank you. If I don't do these things, I rob him of the opportunity to build that wiring with, within each appropriate correction I give him. That will one day link to the areas of the brain that will have to do with gratitude and self-control. The result of not helping this child see outside of his own behaviors is the creation of a narcissist. I see adult dogmas and the ways of processing the world in the same way. Just because they cannot comprehend a more developed stage doesn't mean I'm going to put up with the ignorant comments that affect those around them in negative ways. So as you're pointing out, Jess, number 10, like not everybody's going to handle your development in a healthy way. People are going to pass judgment. People are going to see you as broken or less than or falling away in some way. They're going to see your views. It's a natural occurrence. Yeah. yeah. And so it's perfectly appropriate for every person who is recognizing they're developing and getting resistance from those in a previous stage or two to set healthy boundaries and allow, uh, yeah. allow yourself to put some safe space between you and those people who cannot interact with you in healthy ways. Yeah. It's necessary if you want to thrive. For your own self-worth. Yeah. yeah. And my only fear is that some people don't quite have the tools yet to see that they are not broken as the community tells them they're broken. And it's my hope mm -hmm. that as people listen to something like this and they go, oh, yeah, that's not okay that they do that, yeah. that you'll, you'll, yeah. have the, you'll have the wherewithal now to start to put that healthy space in. So Jess, as we, uh, as we wrap up, maybe run us through like what all of this means to you. What, what is, what are we to do with all of this now? At the end of the day, I think all we crave is to be seen. I mean, truly deeply seen and embraced for the good within us. 
We want an environment and community that will allow for this and inspire thriving. However, even with the best intentions at heart, a small awareness bubble mixed with false belief can render us incapable of doing these things for ourselves and others. The best, the best example I can offer you that portrays a remedy to this and shows the transformation it has on all involved can be found in the Disney film Moana. I want, to, I want you to imagine that Taka, the volcanic monster, represents anyone in severe emotional, spiritual, and mental pain, or le- like experiencing a faith transition, or when someone is ostracized because they no longer fit within the mold of their community. And that Moana is a good-hearted member who wants to do what's right and be of service to those she loves. And she also has accepted false teachings and doctrines taught in her tribe about this volcanic creature. At the beginning of the film, we witness a happy and content Mother Island who contributes greatly to those within her proximity, turned into a volcanic monster when experiencing something traumatic. We see the painful anguish and torment it causes Taka to experience this sense of betrayal by those she had spent her life loving and serving. There's a very accurate portrayal of what it looks like internally as a result of one being stripped of a life force or heart that once fueled their ability to thrive and then is given no clear or helpful path or direction on how to navigate from that point. When Moana finally faces the volcanic monster, she was so certain she already knew everything she needed to know about the enemy that she had perceived and labeled as a threat to her way of life. Could you imagine what would have happened if she had refused to let go of the teachings of her tribe about this being? She would have kept fighting to the very end with self-righteous certitude only to the peril of both involved. We also see how powerful it is when a person is willing to take a closer look at those intense outbursts of pain and anger and see that there is something much deeper happening than what was previously supposed. When Moana allowed herself to question her own current paradigm and look at Tefiti through a different lens, she instantly became more equipped to know what needed to be done to help. In a moment's time, Taka went from being Moana's enemy to the answer that would help heal her island, but only when Moana had the complete information of who Taka really was. When she realized all of the big misjudgments that were based off of incomplete understanding, she was able to say, this is not who you are. You know who you are, and you are not that monster I was taught. Moana's open-mindedness allowed her to freely and enthusiastically give Taka the tools that were mandatory for her transformation and flourishing into what we know as Tafiti. This tool of transformation was something that was always her right to have and was previously denied as a result of certitude and dogmas brought on by good-intentioned people. This open-minded compassion is also extended to the tribe and their strict rules that Moana's dad had implemented as soon as she gained a more complete understanding of why they were put there to begin with. In this story, the other islands, including Moana's tribe, 
were severely suffering because there was a lack of TTs present. Despite all effort on their part to remedy this, the laws in which they were bound had rendered them incapable of finding the solution to their dying island. When there became space for Taka to transform, thrive, and be present among the tribe as the mother island, it was her presence that healed their island as they internalized the richness of the gift that only she could offer. What made Moana remarkable is that she was able to embrace the rumblings of ancient wisdom within her own heritage, as well as deep wisdom found outside of her tribe. She was brave and bold enough to challenge belief systems that were hurting others or had ceased to allow for thriving. It was Moana's unorthodox approach to the dogmas of her leaders that gave way to the shedding of unhealthy, destructive, and broken systems. In their place were more inclusive and healthier functioning systems that would benefit all it touched. In my life, I was gifted with a dear friend in whom I consider my own version of Moana. She is still very much a member of the church because that's where she thrives. She is the reason why this part of the movie leaves me in tears every time. Because before I met you, Bill, or anyone else like us that would show me that this dark night of the soul was actually a healthy developmental awakening, there was Chrissy. She was willing to sit with me in the pain and see beyond grossly inaccurate stories told at church and general conference of why people like me experience faith crisis or leave the church. These stories distort the lens of those who absorb this information and greatly, and, and greatly affect how they will think of and treat people going through faith crisis. Even if the information completely contradicts everything they know about the character and integrity of that person. This was my experience. I was all in and desperately fought to stay in the church for several years, even at the cost of my own health. Chrissy was able to see where wisdom ended and dogma began as she, as she took in the damaging and traumatic things people were saying to me and about me. She was able to look at me and say about all those things, this is not who you are. It was scary for me to experience the consequences when a tribe or certain members within it held protecting the image of an institution as more important than the individuals it serves. It felt like members were kicking me when I was already down in order to preserve their worldview. This poor management of priorities and false information were what rendered those specific people incapable of doing what Chrissy would so freely gift me. That is, the gift of mourning with those that mourn and comforting those who stand in need of comfort, what each had promised to do in their baptismal covenant. Every week, Chrissy and I would go to the park with our kids. She would just love, validate, and cry with me without shaming or policing the expression of my experience while still allowing me to validate and honor her beautiful and nuanced journey that looks so different from mine. All that we have touched on 
in this interview about loving and embracing and finding joy in each other, regardless of developmental stage, I learned from her example. It's funny because I taught her about the stages of development, but she taught me the impact it has and what it feels like to have someone reach across their own developmental borders to embrace another. In doing this, we were both transformed. This communion with each other is what made being in each other's presence deeply sacred. I think in essence, this is what being at church is supposed to feel like. But it won't truly happen in this wholehearted way until all people are our people. That's the vision I see for all of us. Our ability to cherish and help each other hangs on the accuracy of our information, our desire for understanding, and willingness to shed beliefs and that bear unhealthy and destructive fruits. A rising tide lifts all boats. Unfortunately, right now, the system is sinking the boats of those who are labeled as LGBT, intellectuals, feminists, and other minorities. These are the people who are in severe pain because they are labeled as monsters by the leaders and community they have loved and spent their lives serving. They are refused the tools, space, and expression within the community, along with the ability to share their gifts and flourish. We need to do better than this. So let's learn how to speak each other's languages and see the beauty that each stage of development contributes to our lives. Only then can we uplift, fully embrace, and love each other. When that happens, every person will be allowed to authentically show up and be as one. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. Um, Thank you. That was great. I think this is going to be deeply helpful to people uh, as they listen and try to understand like what's happening. And, and we often think like, oh, I'm alone and this Mormon thing is happening and I'm feeling this fracture. And the reality, Jess, is that this is just a human experience. And what I think you've offered us today is going to be significantly helpful to people who are early in this, uh, who are trying to kind of wend their way and and figure out what's going on. So I just want to say thank you so much and uh, appreciate so much you being on today. Oh, thank you so much. Have a great day. Okay, you too.